Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. I don't know if it's too much to ask for, but can something go right in the Seattle sports scene right now? Because the last few weeks, it has been some tough looks out there. You got the Seahawks being what they are at 3-6. and six. Hopefully avoiding a 3-7 and seven start to the season tomorrow, but you got to play the game. You've got the Kraken in the midst of a six-game losing streak in which all six games they've allowed at least four goals. The Huskies firing their head coach, Jimmy Lake, on Sunday of this last week. The Cougs having already fired their head coach earlier this season, but they do get bull eligibility last night. It's a tough look out there right now, but we're going to do our best to lick the wounds, I guess, over the next couple of hours. I'm Curtis Rogers, joined today by Mike Lefko, who's filling in for Taylor Jacobs. Mike, I mean, it's been a rough go of it the last couple of weeks here in the Northwest, at least in terms of, of professional sports, even college sports. How do we how do we get things right? How do we fix these things? Curtis, you can't even get a win with your host. Your co-host has deserted you as well. It's just gotten that bad around Seattle. I don't know. The the vibes are quite bad here right now. Losing begets more losing, and it just seems like it, it kind of seems like the Huskies and Seahawks have mirrored each other's seasons this year, right? They they yeah. they've been close, and then they lose a couple games, and then they have a very lackluster offensive performance and. They've had identical seasons, it feels like, head coach notwithstanding. True, yeah. We don't know if Pete's on the hot seat by any stretch of the imagination. I can't imagine that he is. Uh, But I think that's a very fair point to make the comparison between the Huskies and the Seahawks in their seasons is their offenses have sputtered out more often than they've looked sharp. There have been a couple of instances where it's like, oh, maybe there's something here. I mean, last week, the Huskies scoring 30 points against ASU. Unfortunately, their defense allowed 35. Uh, You've got the Seahawks scoring 31 against the Jags, and then following that up against the Packers getting shut out last week. It has just been one frustration after another to start these seasons, and maybe there is a little bit of a glimmer of hope. I mean, obviously, with the Huskies, it's going to come in the form of whoever is the next head coach of this football program. For the Seahawks, though, there is still... Almost half a season left, which is wild to think about because in years past, if you're three and six, the season is pretty much accounted for at that point. But now with the extra game, there's a lot more wiggle room with the extra playoff team. Also with seven teams in each conference getting in, the Seahawks are not out of it, even though they have the second worst record in the NFC at this point. They are also, what, just one out in the loss column of that seventh playoff spot. There's still plenty of time for them to make some noise. I love that dynamic, by the way. Well, first of all, I think I'm, we can blame the Pineapple Express winter oh, on, yeah. on all the losing. The unexpected early rains has come down with a fury. That has just caused some losing somehow. But yeah, I think it's funny that the Seahawks are equally as close to the bottom of the NFC, like the entire bottom of the NFC, as they are to making the playoffs. I mean, if you look, there's only there's only one team in the NFC that is technically below the Seahawks, and that would be your Detroit Lions, and they're no wins. But they're only a game. The Seahawks are only a game back uh, in the loss column of making the playoffs. Just wild. What a, what a dynamic right now. It is, and I mean, I guess that's the parody the NFL is looking for, but. 
it's just so bizarre. And I think if you're a Seahawk fan, you obviously want to make, you obviously want to see this team make a run of the playoffs because you don't have a first round draft pick next year. There's no reason to tank at any, at any point this season. Uh, So go for it. Absolutely. Find yourself fighting for a playoff spot because if you, (laughs) there's no point in just packing your things up and, and going home this season, especially because of what the Seahawks don't have next year. And that's a first round draft pick, which currently belongs to the New York jets. And that one's looking more and more uh, in the jets favor as the season goes along here. But the Seahawks with a prime opportunity tomorrow to right their ship, to get back on track, because as we kind of talked about in our show prep here today, Mike, you get past this Cardinals game. All of a sudden the schedule starts to lean the Seahawks way. There are games that obviously could be losable, but there are games that after you get through this, I mean, Washington has a pretty good defense, but without Chase Young, how good really are they? And they're sitting at three and six. The quarterback play doesn't really inspire there. So yeah, you get you get past the Cardinals, and you're really only looking at Cardinals again at the end of the year, the Rams one more time, and as we've we've heard a couple people say, maybe the Rams are pretenders right now. They're going through their own identity crisis, so the Rams, by the time we get towards the, that second matchup, might not be as fearsome as they were, and the Niners will always be tough because it's a division game, but this is the one looming hurdle to get over, and then it does get significantly easier, maybe, but as we've seen, I mean, any team can beat anyone in the NFL, which could work in the Seahawks' favor because we've kind of been looking, right? Like, when are the Seahawks going to get that, oh, they shouldn't have won this game, but they came out and really just surprised people win that a lot of other teams in the NFL have had so far? And there's going to be plenty of opportunities for that in the remainder of this season with two games against the Cardinals and a game against the Rams. There's uh, still a shot for that to happen. Uh, if you would like to join in on the conversation at any point today, the Mac and Jack's text line is there for you, 206-421-3776. He's Mike Lefko. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. Let's get into this hour's Big Three. Number one. Well, the story of the week, at least in, so I would say, here in Seattle, for sure, is Jimmy Lake's firing at Washington after just 13 games. He finds himself out of a job, and that wasn't necessarily the product on the field so much that was worthy of firing, because I think had they just had a down season and it, they were still recruiting at a high level, he wasn't putting his hands on players, he probably <laughs> would still be employed by the University of Washington, but that's obviously not the case. Recruiting has taken a massive dip over the last year, and also there's the controversy with him and uh, Husky defensive player Ruparake Fuavai in that Oregon game. Lake gets suspended for last week's game, and then we get the news Sunday during the Seahawks game that Lake has uh, coached his last game at University of Washington. Mike, when you look at this situation at UW, I mean, how do you get past what has transpired over the last year plus? Because it is not an easy hole to dig themselves out. Of. Do you like that timing, by the way? I'm sure that was purely oh, coincidental. Purely coincidental to announce <laughs> your, your head coach has been fired right as the Seahawks are kicking off. Surely that was just a coincidence. But I don't, I don't know. I, I think here's the problem. you got to fire someone quickly. You have to really fire someone quick, or hire, not fire someone, you have to hire someone quickly because of the early signing period. You know, the early signing period for college football is December 15th, so you got to get a coach in here. And I think there's some urgency there in the hire. Maybe that's why they decided to, to make the move when they did for hire or firing Jimmy Lake, because you really need a coach in here to maintain those recruits and then to get more your recruits who might be signing elsewhere. 
Let's get to number story two. Break. Cardinals and Seahawks. Seattle sitting at three and six. The Cardinals atop the NFC West right now, but no DeAndre Hopkins tomorrow for Arizona. Potentially no Kyler Murray. Um, we all know yesterday we heard the news, no Chris Carson for the Seahawks. Plenty of injuries abound for both of these two teams. Mike, when you look at the injury report for both these teams, which squad do you think is going to have a tougher time sort of overcoming the star players that they're going to be missing? Well, Chris Carson's injury certainly hurts. But the thing is, you've known that he hasn't been there for a while, right? He's been on IR. So he hasn't been part of the Seahawks team, even though it's it's really tough and you don't want to go the rest of the season without a star running back like that. So that might hurt down the road. But I think because of the uncertain situation with a lot of the key star players on the Cardinals, no DeAndre Hopkins again. They did not look good last week without their stars. And Kyler Murray still with that ankle injury. Expectations, will he play? Yeah, maybe, but... There's another side of this, Curtis, that in the long term for the Cardinals, what's more important, beating the Seahawks team or making sure these guys are healthy as you go down the line for a push at a one seed and a playoff berth? Because the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs. They're 8-2 and two right now. They have their bye week coming up. I think, honestly, they might decide to rest them, and that would be key, and I think it could impact the Cardinals more, certainly if you put a, a kind of an injured Kyler Murray out there. Story number three. Number three. To baseball, the AL Manager of the Year voting has been tabulated. Mariner skipper Scott Service finishing second. And it wasn't a, really a close second. It was kind of a distant second behind Tampa Bay Manager Kevin Cash uh, for the 2021 AL Manager of the Year voting. Now, obviously, here in Seattle, we know how good of a job Scott Service did day in and day out during this season, guiding this team to 90-plus wins. But, Mike, do you wonder if the rest of the baseball world – is still kind of sleeping on what these Mariners could possibly be or what they were in 2021, considering the gap between Kevin Cash, who led a team to the divisional round. Yeah, they won the very competitive AL East division, but they didn't improve upon their standing in 2020. And whereas Scott Service and the Mariners were considerably better in 2021 than they were in either 2020 or 2019, what do you make of the just chasm between service and cash yeah unfortunately they don't care voters don't care about a good story or feel good and i I had to do some research on this to kind of not prove a point to support an argument because i have a very outspoken host during the week who just was convinced that there was no way that scott service could lose and unfortunately the al manager of the year has gone to a team that's made the playoffs every year since 2004 and you look this year it just went straight wins you know gabe kapler in the nl and uh, Kevin Cash in the American League. They had over 100 wins, and that's the way they went, unfortunately. Now, I can understand Gabe Kapler winning it in the National League because the Giants were not expected to even contend this season, let alone have the best record in baseball and overtake the Dodgers in the NL West. It was supposed to be the Dodgers and Padres, and, and that didn't play out at all. Uh, so I can understand Kapler winning it in the National League. But, yeah, Kevin Cash in the American League, still pretty, uh, pretty head-scratching if you want to compare resumes but they beat all those east coast teams they beat the yankees oh wow they beat the red sox very impressive (laughs) they they beat them with a small payroll but that's like a (laughs) self-inflicted thing like that's not something that happened because of major league baseball the rays chose to not pay their players that is and he overcame that 
He did. He absolutely <laughs> did. That is this hour's big three. Some honorable mentions, or maybe dishonorable in this case, the Kraken. Currently a very rough watch. Six games in a row they have lost. They've allowed four goals in each of those six games. They've lost eight of nine, trying to right the ship, but they have a very tough stretch of their schedule coming up. Uh, at 11.45 this morning, we're going to talk how soon is too soon to worry about the Kraken. Uh, and then the Cougs becoming bull eligible last night after getting their sixth win. It's Apple Cup week starting after the Husky game today, after that one finishes against Colorado. Uh, should be maybe the most strange. interesting Apple Cup. Maybe, yeah, I think strange is the apropos word here since probably 2008. It's going to be a, a weird, weird week leading up to that battle on Friday night next week. Uh, and then Gonzaga, they're still a juggernaut. They blew out Texas, number five Texas last week. The Zags, number one in the country. But coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday, Washington cannot afford anything less than a home run higher in their head coaching search. We'll tell you why next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. The Huskies make the decision to part ways with Jimmy Lake early last week. And now they face a head coaching search that they cannot afford to waste any time in. As Mike Lefko pointed out in our opening segment, you've got about you know four weeks left here before the early signing period. The good thing, though, is that the college football regular season ends after next week, so there will be plenty of opportunity for the Huskies to conduct some interviews here uh, between the end of the regular season and the start of bowl season, which is usually a couple-week period. But, Mike, when you look at the Husky job, it's obviously an enticing job if you're a coach that's wanting to make that move, if you're a coach that is looking to springboard your career, but also... I look at the Husky athletic department right now, and and I wonder if it is still as attractive as a job as it was when Chris Peterson was there, because in the year plus, the year and a half since Chris Peterson's retirement, there has been a considerable lack of juice surrounding that UW football program. And maybe it was because of, you know, Jimmy Lake and John Donovan and, and that coaching staff and just how they, uh, did not carry the momentum brought by Chris Peterson, but I wonder if this program is in an attractive enough place to get a coaching candidate that would be deemed sort of that sexy hire, the guy that everybody is sort of you know looking at, you know maybe like a Matt Campbell, Dave Aranda, those guys who have been mentioned a lot here in the coaching search early on. I wonder where this Husky program is in terms of a national standpoint because, you know, here locally, I I just don't see the fever for it that I saw a couple years ago. Well, money talks, so I think that's far and away the most important factor. If you're going to pay a guy and give him a, a pretty sweet buyout, as we've seen, that fired football coach remains the best job in America, by the way. <laughs> no, other, no other profession Absolutely. can you underperform, get bought out for nine million dollars to say well we're just so sick of you we're gonna pay you nine million to go away so you get a guy you give him a nice buyout and you pay them well and it's certainly what coaches are really concerned with now are their assistants do you pay your assistants well can you keep your assistant tax so if washington will pony up the money and all indications are they are they can and if they have some some donor support that they will that becomes a more attractive job 
But as you're kind of implying, Curtis, what caliber of candidate are you going to get that would be willing to leave a situation they're in? So that's that's the issue with Dave Aranda. I don't know if he's going to want to come all the way across country to a situation that I don't think is better than Baylor right now. Matt Campbell, maybe. Iowa State, that's a tough place to recruit. That's a tough place to win at. And he his his stock has probably leveled off. He's not like the, the wonder kid anymore. The, oh, look at Matt Campbell. He's doing so well. Inevitably, teams start to lose, and then your shine wears off. So someone like that, maybe. But I, I don't know. What, do you think they should stick maybe West Coast-oriented guys who have familiarity coaching out here and have some built-in recruiting connections here? I think that should be a consideration. I think a guy like Kalani Sataki makes a lot of sense. If you want to have somebody that's been on the West Coast a lot, he's coached at BYU, he's coached at Utah, he's coached at Oregon State, so he knows the area. But I wonder if BYU's transition to the Big 12 is going to make that job a little more appealing than anything that Washington can offer. Because, look, even without Texas and Oklahoma, the Big 12 is still very much on par with the Pac-12 in terms of football talent. I think maybe even slightly better than the Pac-12 has been. And you've got BYU joining that conference, so maybe that sort of throws a wrinkle into any sort of pursuit of Kalani Sataki. You know, Washington has had success. I would say their two most successful coaches have been Don James, who came from Kent State, and Chris Peterson, who came from Boise State, two smaller schools, they come to Washington and just have a tremendous amount of success. Obviously, Don James, the greatest coach in program history. Uh, no one can really even touch his resume, even Chris Peterson, at least at, at Washington. And then Peterson comes here from Boise State. Maybe you do look that route uh, from a smaller school to get them here. You mentioned Dave Aranda from uh, Baylor. I think Baylor right now, their football program is is better than what Washington has to offer. There's certainly a lot more money. There's a lot more support. The, they've been winning more consistently than Washington has over the last, you know, decade plus. And I just, I don't know if Washington can outbid a school like LSU or, or USC for his services. I know Aranda is from the LA area, but also he coached at LSU previously to getting the Baylor job. So that's going to be tough to go after him. You mentioned Matt Campbell, I think that could be somebody cut from that same cloth as Chris Peterson and Don James, where they come from a program that is lesser than Washington, but already have an established culture. They kind of know who they are as a head coach. And I think that's going to be a very important trait in, in who they hire next, because Jimmy Lake had never been a head coach before, and it really kind of showed over the 13 games. Yeah, I was like, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. That yeah, seems to be the pre- big issue. issue. Yeah, he pressed the panic button way too soon, way too often. And look look at what happened in that Oregon game. You saw everything kind of converge into one spot, and it was just a disaster. When you look at this coaching hire, Mike, what are the most important traits to you that UW needs to emphasize in who they hire? Well, literally, number one, you have to have a guy who's been a head coach. That was the most glaring flaw with Jimmy Lake because you don't know how a good coordinator will fare in the head chair. There's so much more that you have to deal with when you're a head coach, especially in college. There's recruiting. There's relationship building. There's relationships with your own players because of the preeminence of the transfer portal. You have to almost kind of keep your players engaged and recruit them each year to keep them around. So 
a guy like Jimmy Lake, unfortunately, you just don't know how it's going to be until they sit in that chair. And for someone who was a really good defensive coordinator, someone who has made his mark as a coordinator, to make that transition, to make that jump, sometimes it works. Sometimes coordinators become really good head coaches. For Jimmy Lake, he was not cut out to handle the all-encompassing aspect of what it takes to be a head coach. So you can't afford to make a mistake again. You must have someone who can succeed and do a lot better. You have to have a guy who has proven that they can be a coach somewhere. So you have to go with that first. Now, that's your bare minimum. You're going to have to compete against, as you mentioned, Curtis, LSU, USC, Virginia Tech. There are a ton of programs right now that need head coaches. But I'd put those three as, well, VT may be equal footing. But USC and LSU, much better programs and much better jobs right now than UW. So you're going to compete with maybe a guy you're going after is also being looked at by USC and LSU. You might have to dial back the expectations a little bit. Uh, a guy that I think was brought up on your show, Jake and Stacy, during the week, Brock Heward was talking with Jake about Cal head coach Justin Wilcox. That's an interesting option because he's very frustrated right now down at Cal. Yeah. You know, They had to cancel a game. They're, they're frustrated with uh, the city of Berkeley and what's going on there. They don't get any support with that football program. That's a guy you might be able to swing who knows Pac-12 recruiting, who knows the conference, and you have that built-in advantage of having a, a recruiting base out here on the West Coast. And I think for Washington, that's another important aspect. Got to keep the recruits around and have to reestablish your old recruiting boundaries. Absolutely. And they got to put a fence around the state of Washington because as we've seen over the last couple of years, plenty of talent has left the state. G. Scott Jr., Emeka Ibuka, uh, and also JT Tuimolua, all three of those guys are in your backyard. They're playing right now for the Ohio State Buckeyes as they're taking it to uh, Michigan State right Oof. now in the horseshoe. Yeah, we were watching that uh, one earlier. Yeah, boy, what a what a beatdown that has been. Imagine if those guys were wearing purple, purple and gold right now. Or at least just one a, of them. I think it's a lot yeah. to ask you get all three, but if you get one of those three, with all the talent that comes out of the Seattle area, you get one of those guys, your program's in good shape. Absolutely it is. And and there's just been way too much talent leaving, not just the Washington area, but leaving really all Pac-12 states. I think it was uh, a couple of years ago or maybe earlier this year, something like that, uh, the top like three or four teams in the country, all all of those quarterbacks came from Pac-12 states, California and Arizona and like Colorado and all those states. And it's just like, man, this conference could be so much better than what it is if they could keep these recruits home. Um, when you look, though, Mike, quickly before we go to break, and unfortunately this is a question that could warrant its own segment, but you look at Jen Cohen and what she has done as athletic director, and I mean, she, in all my interactions with her, she is a very nice person. Uh, she is somebody that uh, has a, a good head on her shoulders, but her hire of Jimmy Lake and her hire of Mike Hopkins have not worked out in, in any way shape or form close to I think how anybody had anticipated it going has she earned the right to make this next hire because boy it has been a really tough go of it in that football program and also in the basketball program the two money makers in any athlete so I was going to ask you that does she make the hire herself they haven't outsourced it to the uh, trendy coaching hiring committee you know the search firm well, they they, they did do? hire a search firm. Okay. So I I think the search firm makes a recommendation to the athletic department, but then the athletic department can do whatever they want because the search firm. Athletic directors will do that for deniability. You know, if it comes back poorly on them, like, well, it was it was a search firm. But unfortunately, th there is no one else. I mean, that is the role of a director of athletics. A university president's not going to be 
as involved or have a knowledge of who the good football coaches are. So, yeah, when you are the director of athletics, it's on you to make the hire. And, and this might be, you know, a very make or break one for Jen Cohen. But unfortunately, if, if you're not happy with her past hire, she is going to be the one who has final say in this hire. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday, later on, actually later on this hour, how soon is too soon to worry about the Seattle Kraken after their really, really slow start to the season? But up next, we got word yesterday that Chris Carson out for the remainder of this season and hoping to return next season from that neck injury. We'll take a look at the future of the running back position with the Seahawks. Can they become that smash mouth team that Pete Carroll has wanted them to be ever since Marshawn Lynch left all those years ago? We get into that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. We got word yesterday from Pete Carroll that a significant contributor, or at least one player that was expected to make significant contributions to the 2020 Seahawks will be out for the remainder of the season. That'd be Chris Carson, who is undergoing neck surgery. He tried to go last week against the Packers, uh, but in the days leading up to the game, shut it down. And then this week we get the word that Chris Carson will not be playing the remainder of the season. He'll be placed on injured reserve, a tough, tough break for a guy that we all know his top end talent here is, is one of the better running backs in football just unfortunately throughout his career he has dealt with plenty of injuries and you hope that i mean neck injuries are so so fickle they're so unpredictable that this doesn't spell the end of his career that he's able to come back and play again and be healthy and and not have to worry about that Uh, that's obviously first and foremost is we wish chris carson the best and and hopefully he, he stays healthy here and is able to live you know normal life but like Boy, that running back position, Mike, for the Seahawks, it has been a turnstile of sorts in the years since Marshawn Lynch has left. I thought the uh, the SB Nation site field goals pointed this out last night. I thought it was very, very interesting that Marshawn Lynch in his years with the Seahawks, in his prime years with the Seahawks, so 2012 through like 2016 or whatever, he didn't miss a single game, uh, or 2012 through 2014, he didn't miss a single game for the Seahawks. Every year since then, the Seahawks have had at least one running back finish the year on IR out for the season. It speaks to, A, Marshawn Lynch's incredible durability, but also, B, just the the toll that it takes on running backs, and then C, how hard it is to find a, a running back that can be that game-changer, that 1,000-yard back, the guy who plays all 16 games, and, and you never have to worry about him. You just put him in your lineup you know, running backs are interchangeable until you find that amazing running back. And then it's like, Oh, there's no way this guy's production can be replicated. I, I, you, you see that firsthand as a Titans fan with Derrick Henry, where when he's in the lineup, things are just so much better. I mean, yeah, the Titans haven't lost since he went down, but as he goes, so goes that Titans team here in Seattle, the running back position is so important to what Pete Carroll wants to do on offense. And they just haven't had that in a long time. Yeah, you can do the same things or try to do the same things. They just might not be as effective because suddenly a small hole that a powerful, bruising running back can get through might not be opened as wide. For a guy like Alex Collins, who takes some time to kind of dance around and let the hole develop, or who isn't going to run as physical as Chris Carson. So I think 
the Seahawks or everything they've talked about, they are still going to run their offense the same way. They're still going to try to establish the run, get running backs more than 11 carries this week and moving forward. But the, the effectiveness just might not be there if you don't have guys that can really make their own openings or, or find space and kind of run through a spot that isn't open. But, uh, you know, what's your, what's your prognostication here on Chris Carson long term? Yeah, he has another year yet left, but the, the way Pete Carroll described it yesterday, uh, a little spot in one of his vertebrae that's irritating the nerve, that, that doesn't sound very, no. very good. That doesn't sound like, yeah, we'll go in there and uh, pop it off, do some surgery, and he'll be fine. It just, it, it's very concerning to hear that because whenever you think vertebrae up there in the neck, so, so precarious of a situation when you're dealing with the neck and the spinal cord, and all of that stuff, and for a running back who is a physical runner like Chris Carson, it's it's a little concerning for his long-term future even after this surgery. Yeah, you you mentioned his running style. That is, a, He's a guy who seeks out contact and loves to put his head down and just be that physical, bruising kind of running back, and maybe that's why he's dealt with a lot of injuries in his career is because of his running style, uh, because he you know fights for that extra yard, and that's what everybody wants to see out of the running back until it becomes an issue with that guy's health. And I mean, you just, you, it stinks to see Chris Carson have as many injuries as he's had in his career, because you, you kind of wonder what he could have been had he been able to stay healthy for the majority of his career, his rookie season. I think he only played four games this year. He only played, I think three or four games as well. Uh, You know, he has been a great running back when healthy. He's got a couple thousand yard seasons, but I don't I don't know if he'll be ever able to get to that level of just a, a workhorse guy who's going to get you 300 carries in a season that you can absolutely maul your opponent with. And here in Seattle, especially with Pete Carroll as the head coach, you kind of wonder, is that the kind of running back that's needed for this offense, for Pete Carroll specifically, to be happy with what he sees on the offensive side of the ball. Because when they had Marshawn Lynch, their offense was incredible. It was very underrated because of how good their defense was, but their offense was incredibly efficient as well. And Russell Wilson played his best football when he had Marshawn Lynch as a running back. Uh, You've got, you know, in the years since, you've had a lot of, uh, you know, running back by committee seasons with guys like Thomas Rawls and Kristen Michael, uh, you know, other guys in there, CJ Procise, and you kind of found, you know, somebody that you weren't really expecting to blossom in that way in Chris Carson. And he, he has shown flashes, but unfortunately he just hasn't been able to string together enough games in a row. I wonder if the Seahawks need to prioritize finding a stud running back this offseason in order to make this offense be what Pete Carroll envisions it to be. Yeah, that's kind of actually, so earlier this week, that's kind of what Rich Eisen alluded to, and here's what he said about the Seahawks needing uh, that big, powerful running back. They are missing that load at running back in the worst way. Just look at what Najee Harris has done for the Steelers. I mean, they all, they, they almost pulled that one off yesterday uh, with, uh, without Big Ben. But look what Najee Harris does for the Steelers. Look what Marshawn did for you guys when you were Legion of Booming, 12s. Chris Carson is a, a good running back. He can't stay healthy. Guy can't stay healthy. Alex Collins not cutting it. It's just you need somebody like A.J. Dillon to roll right downhill. 
to do that mesh point stuff with Russell Wilson that Russell can play action off of? Yeah, I'd like an A.J. Dillon. That'd that be wouldn't nice. be bad. Those yeah. don't grow on trees. No, Najee Harris, he doesn't, he doesn't grow on trees either. And, uh, you know, the Steelers, they were kind of criticized for taking a running back considering how bad their offensive line played last year. But good running backs, they run good no matter who's blocking in front of them. I think Marshawn Lynch was that kind of running back here in Seattle. The offensive line was never incredible. They did have some good O-linemen, Russell Okung, Max Unger, to name a couple. But it was mainly Lynch's running style that helped this team become what it was. Uh, And, I mean, it is so hard to find those great running backs. And, And look... If the Seahawks take a running back in the, in, you know, with their first pick this year, there's going to be a lot of people in the Seahawks fandom and Seahawks Twitter that are going to be uh, wringing their hands out like, oh, here we go. Here's another Rashad Penny. Here's another Kristen Michael when you take a running back that early. But, hey, I mean, who, there's an obvious need right now at running back because Alex Collins is not your guy of the future. He's he's simply not. And, that's not a knock on Alex Collins, but he is not a franchise running back. He has never been that guy in his career. So it is vital for the Seahawks to find somebody that you can hand the ball off to 20 times a game and just say, hey, go get us four yards to carry. Go get us five yards to carry. Keep these drives alive and and give us that identity back on offense. Yeah, because what is the, the solution in the short term? Well, you're going you're gonna to have to go running back by committee. If you don't think Alex Collins can handle the the workload of 20 carries, which maybe that was part of the reason why they didn't run the ball a lot with him because his workload has barely fluctuated around 20 or more carries this season. So you are very concerned about Alex Collins' durability because if he goes down, well, all of a sudden, you don't really have a starter. So, okay, if you want to protect him, you want to keep him fresh, you have to alternate then. Alex Collins, a, a little dose of Travis Homer maybe. He he got in there a couple times, did some things against Green Bay. You know, he dropped that pass that miscommunication with Russell Wilson, but he can be utilized in spot situations. So if you throw in a Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, there was a big press for him in preseason because he showed some some flashes, that, that buzzword, you know, he showed flashes. So, you know, DJ Dallas, Alex Collins, and, and just hope that Rashad Penny figures it out because he is first-round talent, or you said he was first-round talent, so now it's time to prove it. Uh, but perhaps all these guys, a committee of running backs, and that was the trend in the NFL that – they, they push away from drafting a running back high or wasting a high pick on a running back because they were replaceable. Well, if that's true, then they'll have to go to it right now because there's no Chris Carson. If we play the woulda, shoulda, coulda game, I mean, that draft where they take Rashad Penny just a few picks later, Nick Chubb sitting there for Cleveland to take. Oh, man. Yeah, I so if you get the right guy, up. they're worth it. That is the thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Najee Harris, uh, Nick Chubb, they, they are worth it. If, if you get the right guy, the issue is how do you know? Who's the right guy? That's that's draft 101, that issue. with now, the, Mike, How do you know? Now, Mike, you brought up DJ Dallas's name there. And one thing about him is he is a massive Kraken fan. Maybe the biggest Kraken fan <laughs> on yeah, planet Earth. Yeah, he really is. But I wonder if he's had much to root for over the last couple of weeks as they are mired in just an absolutely brutal stretch of their schedule. We'll talk Kraken next. Is it too soon to worry about their long-term prospects We get into that here coming up on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Joined by Mike Lefko this morning. And 
afternoon here. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Kraken are going through it right now. They have dropped, what, six in a row, eight of their last nine. After getting off to a 3-4-1 start, they are now 4-12-1 through their first 17 games of of their first season. And, Mike, I mean, it's one thing to lose consistently, but to be uncompetitive in a lot of these games – I think has a lot of people, myself included, with a with kind of a, a nasty taste in their mouth after this stretch here for the Kraken because last night's game, I think, was the worst of them all, uh, where you fall down 7-0 at one point. You battle back a little bit at the end to make it a, a little more respectable, but, I mean, you're pulling Grubauer at multiple times. That was comical. Chris Drieger. <laughs> I mean, just there has been... A lot that has not gone the way a lot of people had anticipated it to this season with the Kraken. And I think the goalie position is one that I think most people point to and say, where where was this incredible goaltending we were promised? I think back to the start of the season, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com, who does a, an incredible job covering the league, he had his goalie tandem power rankings uh, across the NHL. He had the Kraken third in the league at the start of the season. Philip Grubauer was a Vezina Trophy finalist last year, which goes to the best goalie in the league. Chris Drieger was a great backup for Florida. And here we are. These two guys are really struggling between the pipes. Is is goaltending the root of the issue right now for the Kraken, or is there something else you're seeing as they've kind of had this really, really rough spell? Well, I think it's part of it and it's a huge part of it but it's not maybe the only issue and perhaps uh, we're learning what a lot of people now know that the avalanche and panthers are really really good they are again this year and maybe that covered up a uh, not a lot of deficiencies but it made things a lot easier for these goalies and so when you're on a good team certainly you're going to get some help in the form of a goaltender because you'll have good defensemen that can stop a lot of shots from getting back to you. You'll have a lot of times when you're playing in front, playing with a lead. Look at this Avalanche team. What did they do last night? Well, yeah, they stormed past the Kraken. So how many times last year was Grubauer in that situation where it's it's 2-0, it's 3-0, you can kind of settle in and there aren't the nerves, there aren't the pressure to make every save or to have to be perfect. So uh, good teams can hi- uh, hide a lot of deficiencies. And I think the problem is right now, you're seeing that they're an expansion team, Curtis. You know, there's just no cohesion. There's no real connection, no chemistry, no true leadership of having guys that have played together for a long time. That if some adversity happens, like if you fall behind 2 nothing, 3 nothing to the Blackhawks, which, by the way, I think that one was worse than last night because the Avalanche are really good. I mean, they were arguably the best team in the West last year, uh, and they came up short in the playoffs. But the Blackhawks are bad. And we saw that they are really bad, and they still got out to a big lead. So I don't know if there's someone there who right now is that vocal voice in the locker room that says, all right, this is how we keep it together, and that keeps everyone on track. It it almost seems like there's still a bunch of mercenaries. Got a lot of guys drafted from every team. They are coupled together, and they still haven't completely meshed as a team yet. Yeah, it's it's been just a a really frustrating stretch, I think, and and – What's most frustrating about it is that it's been almost the same script every single time. You mentioned them falling down 3-0 early to 
Chicago. It's been that way against Minnesota when Rem Pitlick scored that hat trick for the first three goals of his career (laughs) against the Kraken in that same game. Uh, Last night against Colorado, it, it was that same story. It just it you wonder is that a coaching thing? Is that just guys coming out flat? Is it a chemistry thing? Because I think a lot of Kraken fans right now are are going into these games kind of expecting them to fall down big early, which has been the case a lot. Look, that was the case in the very first game they played. They were down three nothing to Vegas. They stormed back, tie at three three. Uh, but I mean, ever since then, it, it's just kind of been the same old story. You've in this six-game losing streak. They've allowed at least four goals in every game. That's not going to get it done. You're allowing a ton of goals, and you're a team that does not score a ton of goals. That has to get fixed in a big way. We heard at the beginning of the year this was a team that would thrive off of low-scoring games. Well, they haven't played very many low-scoring games, and I think part of that is obviously the goaltending, but you you loaded up on defensemen in the expansion draft. You loaded up on defensemen in, in free agency. Where have they been? Where have they been doing their jobs? Uh, to me, it just there's been plenty left to be desired. And we get this question a lot, or at least this statement a lot, on the text line, the Mac and Jacks text line, 206-421-3776, saying, hey, you can't compare Seattle to Vegas because that was such an outlier. Correct. You cannot do that. What Vegas did in their expansion season is completely unheard of in professional sports, full stop. But most experts, most NHL analysts had the Kraken as a playoff team entering this season. Not necessarily a Stanley Cup finalist or anything like that, but they expected them to compete in what was a weak Pacific Division, which now the Pacific Division is outperforming those expectations as a whole, and the Kraken are underperforming. I think that got a lot of people's hopes up. It got my hopes up for sure. And now we're kind of left to wonder, you know, is this team a lot further away than we had kind of anticipated at the start of the season? Yeah, I think they are. Uh, and I think there there are some legitimate questions to be asked and some concerns about maybe what you alluded to, some some coaching friction. The, the thing that jumped out to me was Wednesday after that loss to the Blackhawks where, well, here, we'll take a listen. You can kind of judge that Dave Haxtell in uh, more direct than you're used to hearing from a coach, especially in the hockey world, kind of almost directly calls out Philip Grubauer. We gave one up that, you know, I'd, I'd like to see us get a save on. Um, you know, we need to save somewhere in there along the way, and that's not, you know, I'm not putting that certainly on our goaltender. I was an elite shooter that uh, that had an opportunity. Uh, it was a defended opportunity that somewhere along the way we need, you know, we need, uh, we need a save in there. So, I mean, you know, he, he kind of, yeah. I'm not taking a shot at my goaltender, but I am. But I am saying, yeah. well, he's got to save more. And it, that's true. I mean, I think anyone will tell you that Grubauer has not made enough saves. He's not playing well. But for a coach to kind of bring that up, I understand there's significant frustration with Dave Haxtell that this team, you know, he inherited a lot of new guys. He's in a brand new situation, and you're literally building from the ground up. But that frustration makes it seem like maybe things are worse in the locker room. Like if we're hearing that, what is actually being said behind closed doors? That's what's a little concerning. Boy, yeah. I mean, when you bring that up, I, you, you kind of hope that there aren't, you know, tons of fingers being pointed because look, these are guys who have just played together for 17 games. That's all they have to go off of right now. Uh, you kind of hope the clubhouse, the locker room chemistry is still there. You bring up Dave Haxtell, Mike, and, and a, a talking point surrounding this Kraken team over the last few weeks has been 
their decisions to pull the goalies in order to get that man advantage at the end of games, but they've been doing it a lot earlier than I think a lot of people are comfortable with in, you know, pulling the goalie with five minutes to go in the game, pulling the goalie with four minutes to go in the game in, in either a one goal or a two goal scenario. We talked to Andy Ide, the 710 Kraken insider this week on Jake and Stacy, and he brought up the fact that uh, in those man advantage situations, you're, chances of scoring a goal increase by about 7% from uh, like 10, 11% to about 18% uh, in man advantage situations. Now, obviously the risk is you allow a very easy goal on the other end, making it that much harder to get back into the game. What do you make of Dave Haxel's coaching decisions in pulling goalies as early as he does? Are you, are you for playing those numbers or do you think they should, uh, maybe, you know, wait a little bit before making that decision. Well, they have been, yeah, under scrutiny. And I, I think what that is a process of is Dave Haxtell not trusting his offense. I mean, we've seen how limited and how much of a challenge it is for this team to score. So if you need a goal and you need two goals maybe even in that situation, why not try to skew the numbers in your favor, try to tilt the ice a little bit further than you think you might have to? Because if this team who is so bad on the power play, which, hey, Shout out to the power play last night. A couple of power play goals. But if they have been so bad in the power play, well, what's another essentially power play going to do for you if you can't even score? So what's six on five going to do if you still have trouble scoring? And that has, I, you know, it just feels like that's the impetus behind that decision. All right, our team is really struggling on offense. Let's give them more of a chance. Make that gamble and try to give us four minutes instead of 90 seconds or two minutes where it's been a challenge to get the puck into the zone possess it and then set up a, a cohesive passing system when you're set up with a man advantage so it just seems like they're trying to really push the envelope a little bit more and give their team more time in that man advantage because it's been such a struggle to score goals this year yeah you look at the Kraken schedule that looms for them uh it started last night with a tough game against Colorado doesn't get any easier a pair of home games against Washington Carolina who are at the very top of the Eastern Conference standings You've got the Tampa Bay Lightning on the road, the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And then you've also got the Florida Panthers on the road, who I believe still have the best record in the Eastern Conference. So and that's a back-to-back, too. So Yeah, yeah it's not, it's not be easy. And oh, by the way, the Capitals goalie, the team you're playing next, is a guy you had you know possession of after the expansion draft, Vitek Vanacek, who has looked really good between the pipes for Washington. Hate to bring that up. Curtis, that's not going to be good on Sunday. If he's starting and all of a sudden it's like a 3-1 game again, or hey, knock on wood, the one thing the Kraken do, no one shuts out the Kraken. But if they have trouble and all of a sudden you see between the pipes a goal that you gave away start to do well compared to the, the guy that's been in net for the Kraken or either goaltender, that that's going to also raise some eyebrows. So that could potentially be a disaster situation on Sunday. Coming up next year on Seattle Sports Saturday, we'll get you a scoreboard of the early action in college football. Also, the Huskies in Colorado about to kick off in a matter of moments. We'll continue to update on that score and then also get you a big three of some of the biggest stories around the world of sports from a national perspective. That's all coming your way here on Seattle Sports Saturday.